Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hey guys, welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Hope you guys are all doing well today. There is no sponsor of the month because I'm telling you about the intensive. It's that time of the year again. This is the fifth annual intensive. We would love for you to come. If you would follow the link in the show notes, you can check that out. May 11th through the 13th of 2023, Eminence, Missouri. We're hoping for 75 guys this year. It's been an awesome thing to see the growth each year. And we're welcoming uh, Joshua, Joshua Jenkins and the Hope Baptist crew to come and speak about all that's going on within their church and really encourage us in, in how we can replicate some of that. And we'd love for you to be there if you can. It's $180 if you're just wanting to camp. That covers the site, the campsite, covers the food and the float cost. We'll be floating for two days on the Jacks Fork River. And then if you want to stay at a cabin, it is $300 this year. We've had to up the price just a little bit. Uh, second thing we got going on, I want to remind you of something we just announced, which is a course on rites of passage. And so there's a seven-part series that's rolling out. If you want access to that, you can contact me and would love to talk to you about raising sons to men. And that is uh, available starting now. The first session is actually live on my Gab TV channel. Okay, all that aside, we are welcoming back Michael Foster to the show. Michael, how's it going, man? Going well. Glad to be here. Good deal. Hey, let's pray. And we're going to talk about marriage today. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you for this time. We ask for blessing upon the conversation. Uh, I thank you for all you're doing uh, in, in the city of Cincinnati and all you're doing through Michael Foster and the ministry. And it's good to be a man with non-tenant as well. And then uh, everything they've got in the works. Thank you for, for all you're doing. We trust you're going to lead this time. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, people, I, I'm assuming if they're listening to my show, they know who you are. We've had you on before. So why don't you just bring us up to speed on what's going on in your world and and uh, how things are going, man? Things are going well. Yeah, just um, like a lot of pastors, just working hard at preaching every week and getting together with people and praying for your church. And I was working on my uh, planning center calendar before I got in here. We use planning center to manage our church. It's a really good kind of uh, CRM for uh, churches. So loading up, planning uh, all the way out past. Uh, I like to plan my sermons uh, close to a year at a time, but anywhere okay. from like nine months to a year. So then I load all that stuff up in the planning centers to those who do our, our uh, order of service, our, our liturgy, um, our slides have all that stuff. So it's just trying to get ahead of things and stay on top of stuff. Um, the church is growing. We get ready to bring in an, another 35 members, I think, in the next um, membership. And then I, I feel like we have eight or nine baptisms coming up. I think they're all all immersion baptisms. Uh, die a little bit on the inside, but still, they're going to baptize. So uh, I'm excited about that. We're kind of yeah. a blended church when it comes to time and mode of baptism. We found a way to get along just fine. But I got that going on. Um, it's good to be a man. A podcast is kind of either done for or just on ice for a long period of time. Um, Nun and I still do a, a weekly newsletter that we have a Substack called Discipleship in Dominion that goes out almost every Saturday. And that is, uh, there's free stuff and then there's subscriber only content as well. The, so we continue to work on that. We just started working on the very, very rough draft of it's good to be a husband that we hope to have the, the rough draft finished at the end of the year. 
because um, we're both in a bunch of other projects. I'm finishing up uh, a book that's going to be published by New Christendom Press, which is uh, the venture that Eric Kahn and Brian Survey have been working on. That book's called Surviving the Death of a Child. Mm. Um, so co-authoring that with my wife and hope to have uh, that turned in in July. So that'll be the, that book comes out uh, sometime before Christmas and it's good to be a husband sometime next Easter, I guess. Okay. And, um, and it's good to be a man documentary it comes out. Uh, I'm being told uh, the very end of March. So that'll be, that'll be crazy. A lot of stuff going on, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. I had no idea about the documentary and I'm glad to hear that you partnered with Brian and Eric and those guys out there to get that book out there. And I think that uh, knowing a little bit of that story, it'll be um, a difficult, but I'm sure glorious read of really helping people through difficult situations. And uh, so I'm glad to hear of all that stuff. Okay. I'm curious because we, we were just talking um, before we started recording and you mentioned that you're still working full time and you're writing and you've got a newsletter that you're, that you're putting together. Uh, so book newsletter um, you're preparing to preach every week and you're preparing a year in advance. So what would your schedule look like? How do you do that? Cause you got to have some sort of flexibility with your job to be able to build your own schedule or something, but what's your, what's your weekly schedule as, as a pastor and your vocational work, how, how does all that all work out during the week? Sure. I wake up at 5.00 AM, pray, go for a walk, drink my coffee, um, listen to my Bible or read it. Whatever. That takes about 45 minutes. Then I write for two hours, um, Monday through Friday. And then uh, my wife wakes up, my kids start to wake up, uh, hang out with them for a couple of minutes, pray with them, talk with them, whatever, catch up, head into the office for the uh, my normal job, work nine to about 5 p.m. Monday through Thursday. Okay. Um, and then I uh, come home, uh, feed the chickens, hang out with the kids for a little bit, answer some phone calls, you know, from five to six, I kind of take ministry phone calls, you know, maybe five to seven, have dinner right around seven, uh, eat dinner, do devotions around the table with the family. Um, then go hang out with my sons and watch a TV show or, or, or read some books to the younger kids. Monday, again, Monday through Thursday, that's what we do. Um, Friday, it, I usually reserve um, for ministry planning, um, sermon prep, uh, meetings with different leaders of, uh, you know, whether it's going to be like deacons or elders or any sort of ministry leaders, uh, talk over things, keep up with people, um, do more writing. I like to write a lot. Then I wake up on Saturdays. Oh, Friday night's a family night. So we usually... Awesome. Go somewhere or watch a movie or whatever. Just kick back. Saturdays, I sleep in to like 630 or something and then um, get up and read. And if my sermon's not done, I try to finish it before noon and then spend the rest of Saturday just kind of hanging out on the farm, doing stuff with the family. Wake up at four on Sundays, go over my um, sermon, pray, go to church, come back home. Uh, have a really nice bottle of wine waiting for us, a really good food on, we always do really good food on Sundays, donuts, mm -hmm. whatever for the kids in the morning. Um, then we have, uh, try to take, have two families over three Sundays of a month okay. from our church and then hang out with them for three or four hours and take a nap and do it all over again. Awesome. So, you know, discipline, don't waste time, maximize your day. 
and uh, get a lot done. It's good. It's very good. Um, I think guys that are telling me that they're putting 20 hours of sermon prep in, I always want to say that sermon, that sermon's 20 hours. You know, like I think um, if you've gone to seminary and you've been in the ministry for a long time, you're kind of like a teacher, right? So a teacher, when you're a new teacher, you have to create your lesson plan. You have to know how to talk to your students or whatever. But, you know, I've been in the ministry since I was like 18 years old um, mm -hmm. in one form or another. So I've been teaching the Bible for a really long time. And then I went to seminary. People always talk smack about seminary. Usually people that couldn't get into one and graduate from one are the ones talking smack. But um, when you go to seminary, one of the benefits is you just have these, if you go to a good seminary, there's not many left, but there are some, you have all these intensives where you learn the Psalms or you learn wisdom literature or you go to the gospel. So a lot, of, you're not like learning what you believe as you study it. Some pastors are doing that just because that's how providence has worked out. They're being mm -hmm. faithful where God's put them and they're learning. But when, you know, you're in your early forties, like I am, and I've been doing this for a long, long time, I don't have to put the same amount of study. Some people might disagree with that. And I say more power to you. Uh, keep, keep going. Yeah. But um, most of my sermons are probably six to eight hours yeah. uh, of writing. That's about what I do, but I'm always reading. I, I mean, part of my, I work in sales. I travel a, a, a good bit, not as much as I used to, but when I'm on a plane, I'll just write a sermon uh, and I'm paid. I'm paid to travel for work and I'm on a plane and I get to sit down and write a sermon and uh, come home sometimes. Like, so when I started the church, I had taken the time to write the first four months of sermons okay, um, and get ahead. And then when it's time to preach that sermon, I, I read through it. And sometimes I'm like, wow, this is gold. And other times I'm like, wow, this this is terrible. I got to rewrite this whole thing. But I did that on purpose. So I I, I knew there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of pressure. But I also I have an associate pastor that preaches once a month. Okay. Um, I have a I'm a pastor of liturgy or a worship pastor. He's an actual pastor, not just a musician. He is a musician, but he's more than that. He um he does all the liturgy, lays out the liturgy. We sync up. Um. We've got uh, people that do all the slides and all that stuff. I just provide them the information. Mm -hmm. um, got a really active elders board that are involved. Um, so we really move as a phalanx, right? As a as a team, as one, and that's how we're able to get a lot done. There's we have no staff at all in our church. No one. Uh, our pastors, all our uh, teaching elders or pastors, they receive a housing allowance, which is non-taxable mm -hmm. um, if you fill it out your form. So does, you don't even have to put it on your taxes. It's great because it's yeah, technical reimbursement. It um, and that way we can actually, I call that divorce insurance. You know, um, that way uh, our wives are willing to put up with a, a whole lot uh, mm -hmm. if if it means the kids are getting piano lessons and karate lessons and they got working appliances and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's got its ups and downs. Some sometimes uh, being Vive Oak at a church this size is um it's a lot to deal with. But mm -hmm. I, I just think I just think most pastors really don't work 40 hours a week. I, I kinda maybe they're way better than me when I was a full time pastor. I mean I but I think those guys that are way more productive than me are the rarity and their gems and praise God for them. But I find a lot of pastors are like piddling around, working on some sort of pet uh, podcast project or, or reading a bunch of books that aren't essential when you're bivocational, one of the blessings of it, there's all sorts of downsides I could list too. 
but one of the blessings of it is that we don't really have time for nonsense. I don't have time mm-hmm. to read books that aren't aren't related to the actual needs of our church, um, uh, that aren't related to the se- sermon prep. Um, and when we get into elders meetings, all of us have a lot of commitments. We don't let crazy stuff sprawl in our church because there's there's not the margin for that. Yeah. One of our commitments as a church is a streamlined form of ministry. So, so yeah, that's how we do it stuff. right now. It's good stuff, man. Let's talk about marriage. Uh, you're thinking about a lot, you know, thinking about marriage a lot. You're writing on marriage. It's good to be a husband. Um, what's the state of marriage as a whole? And then in descending order, I want to talk about the state of marriage then as we we consider the church and then as we consider even pastoral ministry. So go. Sure. Well, the state of marriage is very similar to what it was pre-Reformation or just as the Reformation started, which is it's in disrepair. It's not honored. There's a good book called When Fathers Ruled by Stephen Osmet. You read the first couple of chapters of that. He lays it out. If you read um, L.C. Krapichet's, um Popes and Feminists, it's very clear to me that she read Osmet because her, and he helps you understand that the Reformation was as was really recapturing the value of uh, marriage, sex, and family as much as it was uh, any of the solas, right? And so you uh, the, the Roman Catholics had uh, raised celibacy to the ideal, right? It's like the best way to be. And, and then guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin, they write a lot on marriage, sex, and family because people had all sorts of bad views. Actually, men back then, believe that women needed male semen to keep them from drying out or something. Hmm. It was like a weird Christian version of a succubus. Um, they had all sorts of really negative, just kind of like a pre MGTOW. So MGTOW is this kind of a growing movement, men going their own way, men checking out of marriage because they're saying there's not uh, equal legal protection under the law that anyone can divorce you. And then when they divorce you, the, the, the wife can get access to your kids and all, you know, half of your stuff, even though she was the one that committed adultery or, or, or broke the, broke the covenant. Um, so guys are really not wanting to get married as much as they used to. I'm actually writing a article for, um, for a Washington group on this right now. And um, so that is a, uh, the state of marriage is rough. And so I think a big part of today's reformation is gaining a biblical view of marriage, a biblical understanding of the 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 magistrate's involvement in it. I actually think the magistrate has a legit involvement in marriage. I don't like marriage okay. license. I don't like that word. Um, but I do like marriage registration, right? Like we want to know that this person can be legally married, that they're not already married to someone else. We don't want to allow bigamy. Uh, we certainly don't want to allow people to marry sisters or brothers. Um, and uh, and then the state uh, has to be the ones that get involved a lot of times when there's civil disputes. That's not hmm. de- dealt with okay. through the church or whatever. So like over property or whatever. Um, so that would be dealt with uh, judges. You could obviously do that through an arbitrator that maybe is a Christian. You could agree to that. Mm-hmm. So the state's not required to be involved in divorce outside of um, seeing that you have been in fact divorced. And so it was really the Puritans that pushed for what now has become a marriage license. Um, okay. And so I'm, I'm for marriage registration. That's what marriage license kind of is in the States. Anyhow, it's just the word triggers people. Like I get that. Um, but I think we have to get back to 
Uh, No-fault divorce has been a huge, it's caused all sorts of trouble. And that's a much more complicated issue than people understand it is. Um, But our family uh, law in America is messed up. There's guys, they can literally go overseas for 12 months and come home to a, a child after the, and their wife wasn't pregnant when they left and come home mm-hmm. to a child and they can divorce her. And then, but they're still required to do um, child support and it's clearly not his child. And, and that, that is consistently they're forcing men to do that. And we guys hear those stories, those kind of night, nightmare scenarios. The guys are finding out that something like 8% of kids aren't uh, that guys, 8% of children aren't, this uh, the uh, biological children of their father. Well, Those stats are coming out, right? That stuff scares guys because yeah. a guy is willing to die for his family. He'll do anything, right? And and give his whole life. And then to think you got some 20-year-old kid and you find out that he's not yours and you love him as a son, you've done all this stuff for him, but he's not yours. The the amount of emotions that generates in a man, the, co- the conflict that generates in a man is um, intense, right? Mm-hmm. And... And so th- these things are getting out now through YouTube and, and Reddit and on Twitter. People, men are talking about it more and more. And the church is really lagging behind just how bad things are. And so the state of marriage is rough. And what I don't think we can fix the courts um, as a, a society without yeah, it's going to be intergenerational, such a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I tell people that don't want to get married, one, you now you don't have an outlet for um uh, for your sex drive um so you don't have a legitimate outlet two you don't have a legacy because you're not having children and three there is a the unique companionship that comes from a spouse from a wife Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i'm thinking mostly in terms of men but this is true of women as well you don't have any of that and so those are kind of the three purposes of marriage, right? Yeah. Which is right. uh, protection against sexual morality, um, propagation of a godly seed, and helpful companionship through yeah. uh, spouse. You, you lose out on that stuff. And the church is um, kind of naive about just how bad things are. And they tell guys like, well, if, you're, if your wife is acting that way, you should love her like Jesus loved his wife. Really? The church? The church that he threatens to spit out? Um, the church that he talks to in uh, Revelation 7? What, did Jesus not love those churches like Jesus? I mean, I mean, these sort of weird ways of talking down the guys. So I think we need to get involved. We need to put more thought in it. Um, one of the reasons we decided to go ahead and write It's Good to Be a Husband, because we, we've both been playing around with some independent projects, Nan and I. Um, we think there's some awesome books on marriage. Out there. Reforming Marriage. When sinners say I do, that's a pretty that's a pretty good book. Um, there's a couple books out there that are good, but a lot of them are written pre-internet or just as the internet's rolling out. And we think there's some pretty significant changes. So our goal, kind of like it's good to be a man, wasn't a book about how to how to be a husband and how to get children. It was just how to about how to be a man. This book will not be a complete theology of marriage. It's gonna look at the things that we've lost. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 sort of complications of our age and there there are many they're they're yeah. significant yeah well i just had george bruno i know that you know bruno and have done some things with him yeah. i just had him on the show and he was talking about the plight of men and these stories that were just one after another of scenarios just like you just described of a man whose wife does some terrible things it leaves him high and dry and now mm-hmm. he's burned and just trying to recover 
kind of thing. And one of the things I'd asked him is what can the church do better? Cause I hear him making these comments all the time. And, you know, he makes comments about, about, about Christian pastors and I'm like, Hey man, I'm a pastor. What can I do better? And uh, so I asked him and uh, I'm going to ask you the same thing. So why is it that all these guys then uh, from marriage advice to life advice are running past pastors? They're not going to the church um, and they're running to these gurus out in the world. And so, so why is that? What can we do better well, in ministry? Well, it's a, this is okay. Here's, I'll give you a couple possibilities, right? One is pastors don't want to overpromise, and gurus, they, they make all sorts of crazy promises. <laughs> so, gurus, like gurus, will like, let me tell you how you can make six figures in one year, right? Let me tell you how you can lose all the fat and be awesome. Um, that's gurus, they don't know you, they don't have to see you week after week after week. Mm-hmm. They're just online personalities, right? Um, and so whether or not they deliver kind of doesn't matter. They just have to get you excited and, and say, hey, I'm here, I'm for you and all that sort of stuff. So it's not all the failures of pastors. Some of it is that we don't want to overpromise, right? We, um, and sometimes there's not a good answer. And gurus are often kind of blowhard fools that don't have the pastoral experience to know like, so- well, the church should take your side and they should have excommunicated your wife. Okay. Well, all right, let's talk about this. All right. Your wife won't submit to you and you press there to be charges and the elders agree with you. And then we excommunicate your wife. Now what, 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 what magic happens? Mm-hmm. Like, well, hopefully that'll break her heart and she'll repent. Hopefully. But now you have an excommunicated wife. You think she's going to keep coming to church after she's got excommunicated. Now she's going to go to another church. And if that church, um, what if that church just tells her what she wants, right? And yeah. uh, and now she's going to another church. Your your family split, and then the kids are wondering who they should go with on Sundays, and they they should go with their father. Now that's a big part. I hear all these people talk about what the church should do, and I th- I say, you probably have never done this, have you? Mm-hmm. You are just thinking out loud. So before I lay into pastors. Let me lay into the gurus and the internet commentators who have no real world experience and haven't actually done this stuff. And they don't have to deal with the fallout of their advice. We have to deal with the fallout of our counsel, right? These are souls. We know that these are not just someone to sell our gum road class to or whatever. Um, These are people that we have to answer to God for. Mm -hmm. And that makes you a little apprehensive on speaking to every single issue that could possibly be spoken on. Right. Since when do pastors have to be specialists on TRT uh, on workout routines and all this, like when, you know, you should have a commitment to health as a pastor, but that doesn't mean that you're a physical fitness trainer. And sometimes I feel like people want pastors to be literally everything. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then I want to say like, well, you know, if you want me to be this awesome, I'm curious, like how awesome do you want to be? You know, like, why don't, why aren't you a thousand different things too? Yeah. Um, But I have to be, and if I'm not, I'm failing. But if you're not, that's just because you're a victim. Grow Mm -hmm. up, grow up. Mm -hmm. So somebody needs to tell these people to grow up. Um, That being said, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No. So now I've been in this situation before, and some of the most difficult thing about about pastoring is those meetings where you do do know that the counsel that that you give, that you're going to have to follow up with that, and that these people are going to be in your office again, and especially in marriage counseling. Uh, how how do you parse out 
I mean, it's so difficult when you're hearing a husband, hearing a wife talk about their issues. And I'm literally praying as I'm hearing it, God, I have no idea. I have no idea what is the reality here. I can't tell who's being honest, who's not being honest. If they're both confused, I, I literally have no idea what's going on. And then, you know, how do you uh, not lean one way or the other? Because we've, we've come out of a season where women weren't talked to or addressed and their sins weren't addressed at all. So I don't want to be biased and think, well, it's only, it is only her fault if it is really the man's fault and he still has to bear the responsibility of the headship of the home. So, I mean, how have you worked through it? I mean, I stumble through that. I don't expect you to have any silver bullet answer to oh, this. But I, it's, I, I have a, I'll tell you, I have an answer. I'll tell you exactly how I do it. And you can decide if you want to be, be how I be. Uh, that's up to you. So, um, so basically when they come in, I have my coffee brewing and I sit down and I say, look, here's how I do marriage counseling. There's kind of two ways to do this. Okay. Um, one, you guys have come here and I'm not a counselor. I'm a judge. And you both are going to tell me how you did each other wrong. And then I can weigh all the evidence and I can pass judgment on one of you. One of you is going to be more wrong than the other. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to pass judgment and then you're going to get in the car. And you're going to drive home with that person who just felt like they got ganged up on. It could be you husband. It could be you wife. A lot of the wives come in here and you think that I'm going to, I'm going to take your side. And then you get really upset when I say, well, that was pretty nasty what you did. So I can be a judge and we can do that. And you can drive home in a car together. Awkward silence, right? One of you feeling beat up. That's one way to go. Um, here's another way. The other option, and I'd like you to consider this, is I'd like you to tell me not using any negatives, right? So uh, no negatives. What what would your marriage look like if it was better six months from now? Okay. Mm -hmm. So don't uh, don't tell me she's not complaining. He's he's bringing home more money, right? Tell me uh, tell me it in positive terms. Um, we're communicating better this way, mm -hmm. right? Whatever. Tell me what you think you're, how we can pick, you can be a month, you can be three months, six months, a year, I don't care, right? But what I'd like to hear is what, not where you're wrong, but what you're trying to get to. And let's mm -hmm. frame it that way. Let me go get my coffee. I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. That's how I do it. Yeah. So, so then they, that that's really hard for them. And that sets me up to say, you need to have a positive vision for your marriage, where your vision could be right now. Like you're just thinking it's, it's all you're see, seeing this in a legal sense. Mm -hmm. Who's right. Who's wrong. Who's doing what, right. but you can't tell me what your marriage wants to look like better. Mm. Right. You know, you can't do that. And so, um, so how can we repent? You're telling me what you don't want to do anymore. That's helpful. Like, you know, and so, and then I, I don't, once we come to some sort of conclusion on what to work, work on, I say, all right, cool. Let's once y'all work on those things and let's, let's catch up for dinner in like six weeks or something. I'm not going to, I'm not going to meet with people week after week after week, when we just identify something that they need to work on. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, yeah. there might be yeah. a special, be special situations where it's really dire. It does require that, but I don't know why that's our default. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like you, uh, how much change can someone do in a single week? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's helpful. Right? It's, it's like crazy. So that's what I like to do. You just got to remember, got to remember they're married to their spouse and family tends to stick together with family. Eventually they bring a pastor in to do uh conflict management. And then eventually they have to choose who's the bad guy. 
And it's not, they, they tend, and this is especially true, like with older siblings, um, like in forties, fifties, sixties, they'll tend to choose each other over you and they'll throw you under the bus. So you get mm. yourself involved in all this mm. conflict management. How often do us as pastors get involved in inheritance disputes? Mm. You know, no one knows that happens all the time. You're, uh, you're dealing with like, uh, uh, a congregant that's about to die and they have all these siblings fighting over it. And these siblings are like in the forties and fifties. And at first they're for you. And they like that you're coming in to help arbitrate. And then, then eventually they, they say you're the cause of the problem. And we are seeing, you know, it's just like, they're going to stick with family. So you got to be really careful on how much, how much you insert yourself. Yeah. And so pastors, we have to be involved in our people's lives, but man, there's always like asking yourself, Am I overstepping my bounds? Is this the right amount to be involved in? Is this inappropriate? Is this an immodest relationship that I'm having mm -hmm. right now? It's a hard thing that we have to do. And that's why pa pastors should be mature people um, that have, have, have had some life experience where they can start to have at least a base level of that discernment. But you get burned a bunch of times in ministry, you start to learn, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very helpful. Um you know, for everybody listening in, you're going through and you, you know these situations because you're sitting, you've sat through them and you've, you know, counseled and sat across from people and week after week or month after month or whatever it is. And I tell you what, man, that what you just gave of a, a positive vision in six months, what would it look like? That's tremendously helpful. It's just, uh, it's, I'm, that's, it's good. So thank you. Um, okay. So we, we've talked a little bit about marriage as a whole. Let, let's switch uh, gears again and let's talk to the pastors that are listening in, which is a, a bulk of my audience as pastors. And you know, in a lot of ways, we are, I mean, we're, we're Christian men that want to be the best men that we can be. A, a big part of this ministry has begun, been just helping pastors be men that know how to humbly walk before God and others and that practice spiritual disciplines. And they just know how to be a, a godly Christian man. It's most moral failures and uh, that end up causing disqualification just come from basic manhood, just, just struggling to be a Christian man. And uh, when it comes to marriage stuff as well, we're preaching sermon series on marriage and in many ways, the marriage of a pastor is just like everybody else's marriage, but then there's uniquenesses to it as well. And, you know, the qualifications of having a healthy household and the management of the household and doing that in a manner that's replicable and, and that's honorable. And so some guys feel that kind of pressure. So just speak to pastors. What, what's the state of the, you know, this is another thing that Bruno said. He was like, man, I, I hear from pastors all the time, married for 30 years, wife leaves them. And now he's left alone and, you know, resigns from ministry and has to move on and figure out how life works without his wife. So I, I know that pastoral marriages struggle, but, uh, but what kind of counsel do you have for them? What are you, what are you seeing in the, in that area? And uh, maybe some of the uniquenesses that, that pastoral marriages face. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways. Okay. So being a pastor is being a reality TV star in a little community. Right. Like everyone watches your family. They're all interested. They could be into, like some people watch the Kardashians because they hate them. Some people watch the Kardashians because they love them. Right. But they're all watching them. And every little move they do is under a magnifying glass. And when you're in a ministry family, everyone's watching you. Sometimes it's just to get gossip. Oh, look, you know, at this. Sometimes it's because you are an example, a model that they want to follow. And, um, and so you're, you're always being watched and that is, that's a very, that's not for everybody. Um, and that being watched can lead you to uh, try to have a, um, a, a, a distinction between your public and private life. Now, look, 
if you come to my house in the morning, I have a, a ragged t-shirt on my pajamas and I'm in mudding boots out of my backyard feeding my chickens. That's not how I go to Walmart. That's not how I go to anywhere. That's in my backyard. There's a difference between private and public, right? There is a, 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 a casualness, a openness that should be allowed to have. You don't, we're not the same everywhere we go because that's immodest and appropriate. So it's okay to um, be on your best behavior when you're at, at church and dress different and, and whatever. That's okay. Um, what's not okay is to have your kids become actors or your wife become actors. Sometimes I come to church and I'm not in the best mood and I don't hide it. Like I temper it. And, uh, but sometimes, yeah, like, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. I don't know why they want to leave like one boot in the middle of the woods, like in the middle of the winter. Why'd you walk? Like I get, like, I guess if you're going to walk back to the house without a boot, why not wear both boots or leave both boots? Why leave a boot? That makes no sense to me. And then, then Sunday, you know, morning, you get ready to go to church. You're like, Hey, we got to get there. We don't want to be late. Uh, and I can't find my boot. Where's your boot? And then you're getting mad, right? You're hopping in the car. Oh, we're going to be late. That's what, and then you're like arguing and you're a typical dad. And you say, you know what? Anyone that doesn't have their boots on, you don't know, it's like grounded or something. Right? And then you're like driving down to church and then was turned red and quiet. It's awkward. Pull up in the van. And now you got to go worship God. Right. I mean, that's, that's Sundays for lots of people. That's anyone that has a big family, anyone that has small children, right? And the main thing is when you park the van or whatever you and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I lost my temper. Let's pray together before we go to church here. And then you go and your wife's got teary eyes. You're a little red. What? Don't be a fake. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Who cares? Like we need real people, authentic people as pastors. Not that like your, your life should be an example of maturity, but not, not a perfection. You're not an actor. You right. want to actor, find a different church. You can leave here. You don't like that. You, that you, my kid, you saw my kid talk back to his mom. Oh, don't worry. I'll take care of that. But if you think my kids are going to be perfect and you're going to guilt my wife or guilt my kids. And so I think it's, you don't want to lose your wife and kids to to fakeness, to performance, to be an yeah. actor. Man, and good. so you do that by being very honest. And, and when you sing, you repent. And uh, you, I, I think what my kids are hearing in, in my sermons, I want them to hear their dad. I want them to know, I don't want them to say, oh, we don't do that. Right. I don't want any of that. So I think a lot of marriage families, or excuse me, ministry families are under stress because of that performance. Mm -hmm. The other yeah. thing is pastors, they love God and they love his word and they love his people, the good ones. And when someone tells us, we'll pay you $35,000 to be a pastor, we see $35,000 to do what I want to do. Right. And so we say, oh my gosh, this is such a good deal. And so we go do it. Now we're doing the very thing we love, which is, you know, ministering. And someone, someone's crazy enough to pay us for it. You know, what we would do free. But our wife now has $35,000 to take care of two, three, four, five kids on. And that's hard. That's mm -hmm. hard. And so these guys, someone's got to protect pastors. This is why I really like presbyteries. 
But I think um, if Baptists would utilize associations this way, it'd probably be really wise in setting the wages of a pastor. Someone's got to protect pastors. Hey, idiot, you're living your dream, but your wife, your wife, like she doesn't have the money to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why I favor bivocational or I, I favor pastors being paid a real, real wage, okay? Like i rather stay bivocational and and just say, hey, if you want me to go full-time, um, I'm willing to kind of sacrifice, but I'm not going to sacrifice my wife and my family, mm-hmm. you know? That's like, good. And, and so I think that's, that's a, a lot of times that's not there. Um, and also uh, it's easier to love strangers in your family for whatever reason. I don't know why, but we'll, we'll take some like, Oh, some young man in our, our church calls you and says, Hey, I want some advice. You know, he's like 14 and he's trying to get prayer and be faithful and whatever. You take his phone call and talk to him for an hour. When was the last time you talked to your 14 year old, 14 year old like that Mm -hmm. for an hour? And I think the wives see that there's a bunch of other things. Pastors get fat. Their sex life is terrible. That's all the stuff the gurus talk about. Mm -hmm. Those things matter. You, you have a, you need to have like, Family vacation once or twice a year, if you can. Pastors should eventually have sabbaticals. You got to do this. This is like hard, hard work. And I always just tell people, like, I love you. I don't know if you can hang, though. I don't know if you can hang because all we do is just live in conflict. That's that's mm-hmm. our every day we live in. And if you're a person that's given to anxiety, like this, this is not the this is not the job for you. Yeah, um, right. And so I think it, we have to protect our wife. Also, people, I always tell people there is no office of Mrs. Pastor. Like a pastor's wife is like, oh, she can teach the women if she has the gift of teaching, she could, right? Oh, she should run the um, the the nursery schedule if she's administrative, she could. Mm-hmm. I always tell my wife the number one thing I want from you is to be a good wife and mother to me and our children, and then everything else comes after that. Mm-hmm. That's that's how you help me in the ministry. You do that, I can take on the world. Yeah. Awesome. You've been in ministry, sir, for about 20 something years, you said, so since in one way or another, since you were 18 and in your early 40s. How have you learned? This is another shift here. I didn't plan on this in, in my, uh, I didn't wish what to plan on this, but you were in Acts 29, I know, for a little bit. And then you were out of formal ministry for, for a while and now back in. Uh, how have you grown as a pastor when it comes to, uh, you know, the, pressures you you talk about if you know you're if you're fearful of anxiety or something like that this isn't for you and you're, you've been in for 20 something years so what have you learned i mean you, do you feel like it, there's stages of your pastoral ministry where if it would have continued on like that your marriage wouldn't have been healthy your life wouldn't have been healthy you would have burned out you would have been out and then what were those things that you learned that it you're it seems like in a pretty health, healthy place as far as life ministry the balance of everything what have you learned over the years yeah, I mean, I definitely I was burning out um in my early twenties when I, I so I got saved, um, became a junior high youth leader in a charismatic church. Um, even though I wasn't ever really charismatic, I never bought any of that. Um, and then I uh ended up in Calvary Chapel and I was in Calvary Chapel for six years and I did a bunch of different youth work, was a functional sure. youth pastor there. Um, had a really large youth group and ran a bunch of uh, escape word outreaches and all this stuff. Then I planted a church with Acts 29. And um, while I was in that church, I started to realize like how relational 
pastoring is and um and how important it is to to actually be a few steps ahead of your people and be able to lead them in that and have some life experience. So I went through some like I became more and more reformed and then also just recognized that I my I hadn't dug my well deep enough to draw from to help these people. Okay. And that's what and I that's why I stopped. And I remember having like um uh I had an anxiety attack. And I didn't know I thought I was like something's wrong with my heart. And then the doctor, I go see the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, no, you're fine. You're, you're strong. You're doing great. And I said, well, that sucks. And he says, why? And I said, well, I said, so I'm just crazy. And I think um, what I, I used to not be good at finding ways to relax um, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and be good, be good at this, helping people understand when I'm at my limits. I'm a sort of guy that I don't, I just crack. I go really hard. Okay. Right. So, so it's, um, so that's, I'm an extrovert, but I do hit this moment where I'm done talking to people and I'll just leave. I'll mm-hmm. just walk out of the room. I can go for hours, but once I hit that, I'm like, all right, I'm out. And so early on, I, I didn't know how to spot that I was getting close to that. My wife would say that I started listening to depressing music and start listening to all this like really sad, like Philip Glass classical music and all this stuff. And it was like a sign of what was going on emotionally. Now I I keep, you know, like I took today as a PTO day. I took a, a day off to get caught up in some church stuff, mm-hmm. get a couple, ser- get a sermon or two ahead of schedule. And, um, and so I think I've really learned the importance of margin. And also you need to know, you have to have a baseline as a pastor. So the baseline is like, if I do this, I've done my job for this week. Now, here's why that's important. Um, I'll have, so the church, our church has grown to 300 people in two years. It's grown rapid and it's, you know, we're still, we're adding people and we're still growing. And um, early on, people would tell me these balls are being dropped. And I said, I didn't know anyone picked up those balls. And they would say, well, I did because no one else was doing it. And I said, look, well, if you pick them up, you do it but you can't drop balls. You haven't picked up. Mm-hmm. And so you picked up, you overcommitted yourself. And now you're telling me I need to do something about you overcommitting yourself. I'm not doing that. I can't do that. Right. This is, you're trying to transfer your anxiety to me. You're worried to me. Mm-hmm. And I had the good sense not to do what you did. And if mm-hmm. I did what you did, I would be like you all stressed out. And, and I was like, look, if you don't pick up balls, what will happen is someone will come to you and say, Hey, I've noticed this is not getting done. And you'll say, yeah, it's just not, it's, it's, it's secondary to these other things. And this, you know what? I'm re- I really like to do that. I'd be like to, well, awesome. Like, well, tell me a little bit about how you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's a great idea. You know, let's sit down and plan that out. And then people that have the gifts do it. But what happens in ministry is that you feel like you have to deliver on everything. So you pick everything up, but I, I won't, I don't care. Like mm-hmm. I know what I need to do and I will stick to those things and no one, no one will move me off my mission at this stage of my life. Yeah. And, and and I forced them to pick that stuff up. And and then I'm willing to say, if someone says, look, well, you, you won't get together and mentor me once a week. I don't recall ever promising that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm yeah. mentoring through the public worship of God every week. And I'll try to get together with you. You can, you know, because a lot of people, when they say mentor, they mean, I want you to be my dad. Well, mm-hmm. I can be your pastor. I only am my kid's dad. Yeah. Um, and this is a real hard thing, I think, for pastors, because 
we let people get into our head, but you just have to know, you have to know like what is your responsibility mm-hmm. and stick to it, stick to it. And when people try to get you to take on new responsibilities, you ask yourself, can I, can I maintain this? Mm-hmm. And if you can't just say, Hey, you know what? That's not something we could do at yeah. this church. And if they leave, they leave. Right. And, um, that's, I think that's where I'm at these days. That's good. Eugene Peterson has some pastoral works that are quite helpful. And he's got a book called the, uh, oh man, I'm going to botch it now. I can't, uh, it's the Pat, it's the, uh, my goodness. Contemplative, the contemplative, contemplative pastor. Yeah, exactly. And the unbusy pastor, that chapter, like chapter two or something like that. And he talks about the danger of letting everybody else determine your life and hand you pastoral responsibilities. And he talks about it getting a positive vision of pastoral ministry. You got to take control of your life, man. And if you don't do that, you're going to end up being dragged around everywhere in life, and you're not going to have any control at all. He's talking about the good kind of control. He's not trying to uh, talk about sure. you know individual sovereignty from God or something like that, and and mm-hmm. some sort of wrong posture with with life, but a recognition that we do have to have this positive vision of pastoral ministry. What am I supposed to do positively as prescribed by the Lord, rather than dictated to me by the people? And uh, it's critical, and it really is. Hey, this has been a ton of fun, bro. We've we've gone almost an hour, so I want to wrap things up. But before we do that, just want to thank you again for coming on and talking to us about this, about marriage, and want to encourage the guys listening in. Hey, do whatever you can, fight for for your healthy marriage, and and be as authentic as you can be. Um, fight for, you know, as as best as you possibly can, without being a fake or a phony. Just uh, be healthy and uh, love your wife well, and and wives, if you're listening in, love your husband well, respect him, and and uh, have fun with your kids and just enjoy life. I mean, there's so many great things about life. Everybody else is, everything's burning down around you. Everything is burning down around you, but you don't have to be. You can have a good time with life, enjoy it and enjoy the gifts that God has given you. And uh, I really want to see that for you and hear that from you. Um, uh, Mike, why don't you go ahead and tell us where you, where we can hear uh, more about what you got going on, websites, any of that kind of stuff. Tell us where we can go to find out more information. Sure. Well, you can... I'm most active on Twitter. So uh, at this is Foster, T-H-I-S-I-S, Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R. Um, we have a newsletter you can sign up for on it's good to be a man.com. Uh, so that's that discipleship and dominion. And then I've got a new podcast coming out here in a couple of weeks called The Disciplined Life. So I did a test episode and uh, got some good feedback. And I, I've written a bunch of, I've got the first 12 episodes plotted out and most of them written. So that's really just on develop. Like I have a whole episode devoted to sleep, right? What does scripture, how, what does scripture say about sleep? Getting too much sleep, getting too little sleep. How do you actually develop a good practice of sleep? You know, uh, what, what are some practical things you can do to make your bedroom a, a more uh, restful place? One on habit formation. A lot of the things that you kind of see in these leadership, secular leadership books that are really helpful. You know, it's like sad. Like when you think of what's the best Christian leadership book, Right now, I think it is um, probably spiritual leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, but you got to get an old mm. version. The newest version is totally ruined that book. I'm really? going through with some guys. Yeah, it's terrible, man. It's terrible. It's hmm. uh, um, it's so different. I have no clue why they took the things out they did. They hacked it. They hacked it once before um, in the early 2000s to take out gender-specific stuff. And that was like, there wasn't too much of that in there anyway. So it wasn't like that big a deal. It was annoying that they're like that. 
but the new ones just had made it so lame. So if you mm. get the older version from early 2000s or the 80s or 90s, that's the way to go. But the thing is, even that book, it's it's very specific. It's dated. It's like a lot of these missionaries people don't know. So a lot of times, like the best leadership book on the church for the church is like Extreme Ownership by Jock, Jocko Willinks, right? right? Like not even a believer. So uh, it's me interacting with a lot of those ideas that I have to interact with as, as a professional that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of direct reports that report to me at my, my day job and in the church. Um, so that's what I'm working on the discipline life. It's on, um, the blessings that come from both spiritual and natural disciplines. And that'll be rolling out soon. Just follow me on Twitter or you can friend me on Facebook. Facebook can be a little bit of a dumpster fire sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I am and what I'm up to. Awesome. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, Michael Foster, thanks for coming on the show, brother. God bless. Thank you.